welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Amen. Good morning to you on Resurrection Day. Thank you for standing in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. The text we will be exploring together this Easter morning is John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, and verses 24 to 29. And so let us again hear the Word of God together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's holy word. May it have its eternal impact on our hearts as we hear it preached. Father, we love you. We thank you for the risen Christ who is among us. We thank you that he said when he ascended into heaven that he would send the Holy Spirit to be among his church and in and indwelling each and every one of us. And he said that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us all the things that the Father and the Son have for us to know. And so, Lord, I'm confident that that today, as a preacher opens a passage, the Holy Spirit opens the word and that he will have his way and teach us about the risen Christ in fresh power today. May the Spirit have his way, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, it is Resurrection Day 2021. Let me ask you, uh, when you think about the resurrection that we celebrate, how do we usually think about it? Well, probably entering into your mind, is we think about it as a powerful event, 
And it was a climactic event in human history. The cross work, the great work of salvation, the resurrection, the great declaration that God has now brought victory over death. It was a powerful event. It meant that death had been defeated for those that would believe in Jesus, that that Satan had been dethroned from his plan to rule man over death and through death. It meant that sin could be conquered in the lives of those that trusted in Jesus, and eternity opened to them. And as fit a great event, it was marked by great events. There was an earthquake on Resurrection Sunday. Don't forget that. There were uh, angels present in mighty resurrection and power, mighty resurrection power, actually, supernatural appearances. And there was a rolled away stone to show the tomb was empty. All of these are mighty things. It was a powerful event. But the scripture also teaches us over that day and the days to follow that resurrection day was not only a powerful event, it was filled with personal encounters, personal meetings between the risen Christ and those that would believe in him. They were wonderful and meaningful, like Mary Magdalene in the garden, not knowing what to do with the open tomb and hearing the voice of the risen Christ behind her. When she heard his tender voice, she knew he was alive and she turned to see him. Or the unnamed disciples who later that day were walking in dejection, having seen the crucifixion of Christ, heard rumors about his rising, but not with the power yet to believe. And Jesus in his risen form, appearing alongside them on the way, hiding his his, uh, his identity from their eyes and walking on the way with them and opening the scriptures to them about why all this had to happen and why Jesus had to die but did rise. And they saw him. Their eyes were opened as he broke the bread and then he was gone. Just ma- amazing personal encounters that the risen Jesus had with people that day and in the days to follow. To me, one of, one of the most personal and penetrating encounters that Jesus had with a follower of Christ was with Thomas in the upper room, as we've read about. An encounter that really took place eight days after Resurrection Day, but was filled with resurrection power. Now, we've been involved in a series in the weeks coming up to Easter entitled What We Saw, Eyewitnesses of the Cross. And we've looked at the cross experience through the eyes of men and women who were there. Now we'll look at resurrection through the eyes of someone who wasn't there, who literally missed Easter. (laughs) Thomas did, but met the risen Christ days afterward and had a powerful Easter of his own. The cross and the resurrection through the eyes of Thomas. I find one of the most comforting things about this story that I'm about to tell you is that it shows us how the risen Jesus dealt with a person who was struggling to believe. This is so important in our age, where many struggle to believe. Maybe that's yourself this morning. You're here or you're watching. And you've not come to Christ, but you're seeking spiritual truth. You're questioning. You have doubts. He can deal with your doubts. I'm glad you're here. But maybe you're a Christian, but times have been difficult for your spiritual life. Events have happened that have shaken your faith in God's plan for your life. And to be honest, you're here, 
but you're in doubt and in battle on this resurrection day. I'm glad you're here. Thomas's story is for you. Well, let's walk through it together. Look, first of all, at the person of Thomas. Thomas got a bad start in spiritual history. Let's just admit it. Have you ever yourself uh, had someone meet you for the first time, but it turned out to be uh, at one of your worst moments? Maybe you go back to a blind date you had, and you were looking forward to meeting her, She didn't know what you were like, and you didn't know what she was like. But as she came walking across the restaurant floor, you were so anxious to meet her that you got up too fast, and you tipped a Coke over onto your pants. And the first memory she had of you was seeing you soaking wet and totally embarrassed and speechless. Maybe she went on to become your wife. And still to this day, she reminds you of the first moment She saw you when that Coke was spilling down your khakis. You had to wear khakis that day, right? Couldn't have been black Levi's. Somebody meets us at our worst moment and their memory is indelible. Maybe it was more serious for you. Maybe somebody met you when you were at a funeral for somebody that you loved who had died. And you were overcome with grief. And the first time they met you, you were without words. And your, your face was clouded over, maybe with a little anger and lostness too. They'll remember that day, and so will you. Well, Thomas was met by most people who read his story on the worst day of his life. And for 2,000 years, he's been marked by what we saw in terms of his struggle to believe Well, I want to help you understand the big picture of Thomas, because there's so much more to know about him. He was a richly devoted man to Jesus, and you're going to see the full picture today and understand his full story. You need to look at the whole man. He was disappointed, but devoted. So important to understand. First thing I'd remind you about that scripture tells us about Thomas is that he was a deeply devoted follower of Jesus, deeply devoted to Jesus. John 20 is not the only place where you find Thomas. In fact, two times earlier in the Gospel of John, he rises into the story in beautiful ways. Thomas was uh, Jewish, of course, and he came from a good Jewish family in the fishing town of Capernaum on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. Like many of the other disciples, he was a fisherman. Like many of the others, he had heard about Jesus who came preaching in Galilee And over time, he was quietly converted. He doesn't have a dramatic conversion story like Peter might or John. But we know that he became a follower of Jesus. And later, he was chosen to be one of the 12 closest to Christ. In that story of his walk with the Lord, there are two earlier appearances. Like I said, back in John chapter 11 is the first one. This is a time when Preaching and living in Jerusalem had become dangerous for Jesus. His message was so powerful and so opposed by the religious leaders that a plot had been hatched to trap him and to stone him to death. And the disciples and Jesus knew this, and so Jesus withdrew up into northern Israel for a while to preach and heal. But Lazarus had died. Lazarus was a dear friend of Christ's, and Lazarus had died in a town called Bethany, which was right outside Jerusalem. And so Jesus determines to go back 
and to do a work of not just healing, but resurrection in the life of Lazarus. And he turns to his disciples and he says, let us go back. And they look at him and say, Lord, uh, think again. The last time that we were there, they were getting ready to stone you. We can't go back. It would be murderous for you. So they argue with him. And rising up in that moment comes Thomas in John 11, verse 16. And Thomas rises up against all the fear of the disciples. And it says, so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Wow, that is courage in a moment. That is brave devotion to Jesus Christ. Thomas was not all doubt. In fact, in the early days of his walk with the Lord, he was bravely devoted to Jesus. Herbert Lockyer, the great biographer of the apostles, wrote about this moment in John 11 in this way, quote, do not these words of Thomas glow with a deep and true love for the master. Thomas was a man of God. And he was deeply devoted to Jesus when the others were quaking in fear. Remember that about him. He appears again in John chapter 14. Now they've come back to Jerusalem. It's the final hours of Christ's earthly life with them. And he has told them there in the upper room, again, very clearly, that this would be the last night they would see him physically alive before his crucifixion and his resurrection. He told them about the betrayal that was coming, and he told them about the torture he would go through and the crucifixion he would experience. And they were overcome with fear and grief. Now, he also told them that he would rise three days later, but that part of the story didn't sink in as much as the the experience of death and losing their Messiah. It didn't compute for them, and they were overwhelmed with with fear. Now Jesus, in, in that moment, comforts them and tells them, it's not the end of the story. I will rise. And in fact, I will ascend to heaven from where I came. And I will go to heaven and prepare a place for you. And then I'll come again for you. We know it is the rapture of the church that's yet coming in history. And he says, I'll come back for you. You won't be alone for long. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. John 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now this mystified them for a moment. They certainly hadn't put it all together yet. They didn't know how far they could really trust Jesus all the way to heaven, by the way, just as we do. But they're they're locked in doubt and in silence. And in that silence, Thomas breaks the silence again. And in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But you can get to the Father through me. Trust me. But the thing I see here in Thomas was was how deeply he loved Jesus. He wanted to be with Christ. He didn't understand all this confusing prediction that Jesus had made, but 
Thomas knew that where Jesus was, I want to go. I just need to know more, Lord, about how you're going to get me there. So Thomas had a deep love for Jesus. Don't you see it? A deep loyalty that was brave in crisis and a deep love. Didn't have the greatest and deepest faith, but oh, he loved his master. Deep loyalty and deep love. But that would cause you to ask a question. How did he fall so deeply to where we find him in John 20, refusing to believe in that same Savior? Well, what caused him to fall was not only was he a deeply devoted man, but the second thing I need you to understand under the the idea of the person of Thomas was that he was also a deeply disappointed man. The crucifixion seems to have more deeply devastated Thomas than it did any of the other disciples. Bible commentators over the generations have asked the question, why wasn't Thomas there in verses 19 and 20 of John 20? Why was he not there on resurrection day, gathered with the other disciples? And the gathered conclusion of the commentators is that Thomas was so devastated by the loss of his Lord, by the crucifixion experience and the death of the dream, that Thomas wouldn't be, wasn't there because he could not face the whole experience. He was devastated and he went to be alone in his grief. He was devastated and alone with his grief. He was more, more deeply affected about by this than any of the other disciples, it seems. This deeply devoted man had become a deeply disappointed man. A spiritual problem had enveloped Thomas's life. Let's look at it, this problem of Thomas. Now, if you, if you go to John 20 now, having taken a look at the earlier passages in John 20, beginning at verse 24, you can look at the interaction between, between Thomas over that week with the other disciples after Jesus appeared and Thomas had missed, Thomas had missed them, missed him, to get an idea of what was going on in Thomas's life that week. Remember, Thomas, devastated, had departed. He was alone in his grief. He was absent on resurrection day. Thomas missed Easter. But the disciples went after him and didn't want to let him go. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. They went out and found Thomas wherever he was. They found him hiding in his grief, isolated, and in love they went to him and they said, Thomas, the story isn't over. He rose. We saw him with our own eyes. We saw the Lord. In fact, it's beautiful in the Greek language here. When it says the disciples told him, the Greek words for told him are in the imperfect tense, which means they told him repeatedly. It wasn't just one conversation. They found Thomas and told him. Thomas probably answered saying, I don't believe a word you're saying. A few days later, they went and found him again out of concern for him. And they said, Thomas, we're telling you, dude, he was there. It was Jesus. We saw him in a way we'd never seen him before but we have seen the Lord. So over and over again over that week, they went in love to Thomas, and apparently over and over that week, they had the same conversation where Thomas refused to believe. Thomas responded with bitter disbelief. He responded like someone who was wrestling with two things. Listen, 
First of all, he responded as someone who was disillusioned with God. Verse 25, they said, we've seen the Lord. And each time they told him, apparently Thomas responded with the same bitter reply. Unless, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Look at the word unless. Thomas had begun to draw lines in the sand between his ability and willingness to believe his God. He was in crisis. He was disillusioned with the God of his life. Everything in Thomas's spiritual universe was starting to slide. You see, Thomas had grown up in his Jewish boyhood listening to the promises of a Messiah who would come, reading and memorizing the scriptures next to his classmates and at his mother's knee that promised a Messiah who would come, who would bring peace to Israel and who would end Israel's suffering, and who would bring peace and a golden age to the whole world, this perfect man who would come in history. And as he grew into manhood, there came a day when his friends began to tell him about Yeshua from Nazareth, who was preaching in Galilee, who claimed to be this Messiah, and who not only claimed to be this Messiah, he was healing people by the hundreds of every disease. And Thomas, you should hear how he preaches. You should hear what he says. We've never heard a man speak like this man speaks. There's something about Yeshua of Nazareth. Come and listen to him. And Thomas did go to listen. First on the edge of the crowd, and then traveling with crowd to crowd, he left us fishing behind him. He began to see these miracles in person, hear this preaching in person, and hear Christ claims to be the Son of Man, the perfect man, the coming Messiah. Also that he was the Son of God, God incarnate. And also that he was going to become the Lamb of God. He was going to go to a cross for sinners like Thomas. And all of this began to gather on Thomas's heart and mind. And he began to believe deeply and to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went. Until that day on a hillside in Galilee when Thomas was there with hundreds of other disciples and Jesus had walked into the crowd and put his hand on Thomas's shoulder and said, I choose you to be one of my closest followers. You are one of my 12. And Thomas came out of the crowd and his life began to change even more deeply. And so he was around Jesus all the time and heard Christ's teaching and watched Christ's life. And his belief began to grow and ascend and his whole spiritual world changed. And he was filled with joy that Jesus is the Messiah. And he was there on the triumphal entry just a week before all of this happened. And he was there when he saw them celebrate and call out Hosanna to the son of David, which is exactly what the prophet said. Jerusalem would say when the Messiah came to the city. And Thomas said, it's all about to come together. And I am close to him. I am one of his. Thomas was waiting for Jesus to declare mighty victory, to defeat the Romans in the city, and to bring them into that golden age. And Thomas would sit there at the table of great banqueting in the future of Israel. That was what we call Palm Sunday morning. And that's where his heart was, at the heights. But then, the next day, things began to darken. Jesus began not, not to take command, but to confront 
the sin of the people one more time and to confront the lying and the deception of the religious leaders. And, and open conflict broke out and, and a rumor was heard that, that Christ was being plotted against in death by the Pharisees. They were simply looking for someone to betray him. Things got even darker that night in the upper room when Jesus said, it's going to come tomorrow. And behold, my betrayer is at hand. Oh, it got dark for Thomas in a hurry. Thomas was in the garden of Gethsemane later that night. And he saw Judas walk up and plant a kiss upon Christ's cheek. And the army surrounded him. And Christ was taken away. And Thomas, with all the other disciples, fled in fear. His spiritual world was collapsing. Then he heard, hiding in fear, that Jesus had been led to Caiaphas and then to Pilate, and he'd been condemned, and he'd been led to Calvary, and the crucifixion hammer had fallen, and Christ had been executed, and he'd been placed in a tomb. Thomas's world collapsed. All that he had believed disappeared. And he was disillusioned with this God who would allow such a tragedy to happen. Jesus was not who he had said he was. And all that Thomas had trusted him with was gone. Disillusioned with God. Oh, unless, he said, I won't be taken again. I won't be fooled twice. I've drawn a line in the sand with God. Disillusioned with God. And then he became distanced from God. Notice the phrase at the very end of verse 25. I will never believe. He's fortifying himself. He's standing away from disappointment with God, ever entering his life again. I will never believe. A man who had been deeply devoted and bravely devoted has come to this. Yet he had believed. He had loved Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, beloved, that such disillusionment can come to a devoted heart. Such delusionment, disillusionment can come to the heart of one who's trusted Christ and followed Christ like Thomas did and even in our time. You can be a believer who can experience something like Thomas did. You can be someone who is disappointed by God. And if you're not careful, it can tumble you into distance from God. It can happen Perhaps you were let down by God in your life as a Christian. A relationship you had treasured ended tragically and it ended painfully and you had no fault in it, but now you're alone and you're having trouble reconciling God's plan for your life with this terrible loss or maybe a tragedy has come into your life through the sudden death of someone in your life. You've attended a funeral you never expected to be a part of, and God could have done something about it, and you're wrestling with the God that you came to believe as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you're in the midst of disillusionment today, or maybe illness has moved its way into your life unexpectedly, and this illness will not leave. The doctors say there's not much they can do. 
You'll have to live with it for the rest of your life, this chronic pain or this disabling thing. And the future you'd hoped for, the future you thought God had given you has been altered. Maybe you committed yourself to ministry and you sacrificed to train for it and you went out into the great challenge of the ministry, but you also experienced some of the great pain of the ministry and perhaps you were even defeated in ministry and left. And forever since that day, you've had an inner tension with God as to why he would call you, but then not protect you from what you went through. The stories can go on. Maybe you were not a pastor, but you were part of a church and you went through a very ugly battle in that church. It was a split and harmful things were said and friends were lost to this day. And You've gone through the ugliness that happens in the life of a church and your disillusion with God and your distance from him. Or maybe you've even fallen into an intellectual crisis of belief. Doubts have arisen and you're wrestling. I understand that. In my Christian life, I came into a time of pain and disappointment that brought me into a a stretch of time where I was disillusioned with God. I'd walked with him for a long time and I'd pastored for a while. I understand that distancing from God that can come. I want you not to condemn yourself for it. And I want to give you hope because the risen Christ met me in my disillusion and distance, healed my heart and drew me back into a devotion to him. He can do it for you, and he did it for me because Jesus is risen. And he did it for Thomas. And now I want to take you into the beauty of what comes next. Thomas was not left in his disillusionment and his distance. Because the story goes on. Verse 26, eight days later. Let's now walk into how Jesus provided for Thomas in his grief and disillusionment and how he can do it for every soul. Every person that's come to believe in him but is struggling to follow him. There's a beautiful story of how Jesus interacts with Thomas now in these following verses that I want you to see. As I studied it, I saw four beautiful things that the risen Jesus did with Thomas that I'm confident he'll do with every battling soul. Look at what comes next. The first thing that I see that the risen Jesus did in Thomas's battle is that Jesus met him when he was ready. Notice verse 26. Eight days later, eight days after what? Eight days after Easter Sunday morning, eight days after Resurrection Day, eight days after Thomas should have been where he wasn't. And Jesus had appeared to the others. Eight days transpired, and his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This is beautiful. As I meditated on this, I asked myself a question Thomas was in crisis, it was painful crisis. 
Why would Jesus, now risen, now in a resurrection body that allowed him to be anywhere he wanted to be in a nanosecond, as Almighty God, knowing all things, no more human limitations of knowledge or awareness, he knew everything that was going on in Thomas's life. He knew where Thomas physically was, hiding away on his own. He knew the struggle and the disillusionment. Why didn't Jesus go and meet Thomas right away? Why didn't he have a one-on-one with Thomas? You ever ask yourself that question? We know that he could do it. In fact, we know the scripture says sometime during that week, Jesus went and had a personal one-on-one with Simon Peter, didn't he? Perhaps to to heal Simon's grief over how he'd betrayed his Lord and denied, not betrayed him, but denied him. Why didn't Jesus go meet Thomas? Only answer I've got is that God in his wisdom knew that there was a work that needed to happen in Thomas's life. Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit was out of, was out of work in Thomas's life and Thomas needed time. Thomas needed time to begin to wrestle this through. I'll tell you, beloved, as a pastor of many years, I can tell you that when I've met and worked with disillusioned and broken believers, I have learned that you cannot hasten the work of God in restoring their hearts. Sometimes the restoring of a heart takes time. Souls are delicate things, and they move in their own pace to understand what God is about. And they move in their own pace to return to him and seek to trust him again. And sometimes, as much as you want to, you cannot hurry that along. If you know someone who's struggling in their walk with God, you so desperately want their pain to be over and their denials to cease, you trust God. He will meet them when the time is right. Eight days later, it was. We don't know all the reasons why, but we know that God was working in his life because it says eight days later, his disciples were inside again, same upper room, and Thomas was with them. What was going on? God was at work. Once you're his, you're his. (laughs) Though you may wander, he will work and bring you back, and he'll work in your heart so you're ready to begin to deal I just know that Thomas was ready and Jesus waited. And when he came back, a beautiful moment happened. Let's take a look at the next thing that I know a risen Jesus did with Thomas that he does with every doubter. Secondly, the risen Jesus treated him with gentleness. Watch how the story unfolds. Although the doors were locked, they were still afraid of the Jews. The doors were locked, the windows were bolted. Nobody could get into that upper room physically. And yet again, they're all in there. Thomas is with them this time. And Jesus, it says in the text, Jesus came and stood among them. It does not say Jesus came through the door and stood among them. It says Jesus came. Because as the risen Lord, Jesus could be anywhere he wanted. Walls and doors, no problem. And so in that moment... The disciples once again had the marvelous experience of watching a familiar face walk through the wall. (laughs) It's basically what happened. Now, the disciples, this had already become something they had experienced once, and they might have been used to it. They might have just said to themselves, wow, here he is again. This is awesome. It was a moment 
But something was different about that moment because uh, Thomas was there and he hadn't seen this. Now I notice here that Jesus says, peace be with you. It was a greeting, that's for sure. But I think he said it the first time he appeared to the disciples because they were stunned and their hearts were quaking. And he literally had to say, peace be with you. It's okay. It is me. The second time, they were more used to his appearing. I think they were a little less agitated, but one guy in the room was in the corner having a coronary. Who? Thomas. In a nanosecond, he realized that everything he had feared didn't happen. In a nanosecond, he realized Jesus hadn't stayed in that tomb, that he had risen just as he said he would, and that everything was now in the hands of a powerful God and that everything Thomas thought he lost, he found. But Thomas was there in his realization that he had not believed. So he's having a spiritual coronary in the corner. Now the disciples, not having been fully sanctified until we all get to heaven, they probably had a mischievous bone in their body. And I can see Peter elbowing Bartholomew a little bit and looking at Thomas having this coronary and saying, man, he's going to get it now. (laughs) Wouldn't you expect almighty God to come in his majesty and be a little bit irritated that Thomas had bagged out and hadn't been there on the day of days? And maybe look a little sternly at Thomas. Wouldn't Jesus have had a right as divine God to look at Thomas and say, Thomas, come here. That's what we would think humanly. Because we're lousy, thoughtless, mean-spirited people still. We don't understand the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Jesus did not haul Thomas out onto the carpet. He didn't dress him down. He didn't rebuke him. Look what he does. He just extended his arms, and the robe came up over the nail prints. And he just said, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand if you need to, Thomas. I'll even let you place it in my side. What gentleness. Oh, never forget the mercy and gentleness of our God toward his beloved. You belong to him. He's covered you in his blood. Your deepest hour of disbelief as a believer is forgiven. You're unreprovable in his sight. When you sin and fall, he comes with gentleness. Hmm. Not angry, but gracious. The risen Jesus, how did he meet a doubter? He he met him when he was ready. He treated him with gentleness. And then thirdly, I see that the risen Jesus understood his questions. Notice that Christ uses the exact words that Thomas had used all week long, saying, I don't believe. Thomas, Jesus said, you go ahead and put your finger here. Who had said that? Thomas had said it repeatedly, the disciples, all week long. Jesus uses his exact words. You say, well, how did Jesus know? Duh, he was risen, almighty God. Omniscient in all things. 
Who knows? Maybe he'd even peered over Thomas's shoulder when Thomas didn't know he was there. <laughs> I don't know. But he knew the depth of Thomas's doubt and he honored it and he didn't rebuke him for it. He, he used the exact words. He, he understood his questions is what I'm trying to point out. If you've got questions or in your battle with God, God's not going to brush you aside and say, you shouldn't have questions. He will come and he will meet you in your questions. And he'll move gently. Then he'll do the final thing. I, th I see here that the reason Jesus, in the, risen Jesus rather, in the end, gave Thomas what he needed to believe. Christ was willing to let Thomas walk up to him, and if Thomas needed to, to put his finger all the way down into the second knuckle, into the wrist and the, and the nail wound. Jesus was willing. Don't you see it? Thomas needed the real deal. He just did. And Jesus was kind and gracious and loving enough to allow Thomas, if he needed to, to walk across the room and prove it to himself. Which, of course, never needed to happen, right? What do we see here? Thomas is never recorded as walking across the upper room and touching the wound of Christ. Thomas, verse 28, simply answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas, in a moment, was swept from disillusionment to praise. You are the master I knew you to be. My Lord, you're the promise keeper I hoped you would be. And you're my God. You are risen from the dead. You are God incarnate. And you are the hope of my eternity. Thomas there gives one of the greatest declarations that any of the disciples would ever give. I don't think he ever touched Jesus. In fact, the only thing I think Thomas touched was his knees to the floor. What a victory. See, Jesus met him when he was ready, treated him with gentleness, understood his questions, and gave him what he needed to believe. And I ask you today, if you're struggling in your belief and your walk with God, why wouldn't the same risen Jesus do the same for any doubter today? The answer is, he will always do the same. And that brings me to the encouragement as I come to the end here. There's a promise that Jesus made in verse 29, and with this I close. Jesus said something else to Thomas. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was speaking in what the Bible interpreters call a prophetic future but he speaks as though it's already happened. He was speaking over all those who would not be able to see Jesus because Jesus would ascend into heaven, but all those who, without seeing him, would believe. Who was he speaking about? Who was he making a prophecy over? You and me. He said, oh, there's a blessing coming. In a way, there's a little gentle rebuke in the words of Jesus at the end. He said, Thomas, you know, just hearing should have been enough. Just when Mary came back from the garden and she broke in on you all and said, I've seen him, he's risen. That should have been enough. 
In fact, it should have been enough for all the disciples, but God was merciful, and he gave them a visible appearance. John would remember it decades later when he wrote in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, the eternal God, God the Son, which we have heard, we heard him preach and promise, which we have seen with our eyes on resurrection day, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Apparently, that first night, they reached out and touched the risen Jesus. Concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Notice the difference there. The early apostles saw Christ. We don't see him, but somebody testifies to us about him, and that's enough for us to believe. That's why 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you love him today? Though you've not seen him? That is the gift of the Holy Spirit on your life. And it's a fulfillment of the promise Jesus made. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, Peter said, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We can have just as much faith and just as much a vision of Jesus as those disciples in the upper room did. It's just by faith for us, but it's just as full and just as inexpressible and just as full of glory and obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Any person today who hears the gospel through a Christian and decides to believe in this risen Lord by faith has the same encounter and has the same certainty. Oh, what a mighty thing. You can join the family of the believers today if you're hearing me or watching me and you don't know yet know, yet know the Lord Jesus is your Savior. Perhaps today it's crystallizing for you. You can step over the line and trust him by faith from our word on his gospel and you can know him now. What a beautiful promise. Well, finally, I noticed that there was also a place for Thomas in the future. You know, you would think that the disciples might have put Thomas in a kind of an apprentice disciple category for a year, put him on probation. That's what the disciples might have done. But Thomas remained an apostle in full standing in the sight of the Lord from that day onward. And you know what? He was never late to the party again. Never. We know that because in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had risen and he said, you go and gather and gather together and pray and ask for my Father to bring the Holy Spirit and power upon you, and then you go to all the nations. Thomas was there, Acts chapter 1, verse 13. He was in the upper room with all the other apostles, never late to that party he was. And after that, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, they went out, and Thomas went out, and the tradition of the early church says that Thomas went out and preached the gospel for 40 years. And he wound up on the northern shore of the continent of India. He was martyred on the beach as a spear was thrust through him. And who knows that the last earthly words of Thomas on earth and the first heavenly words of Thomas in eternity might just have been, My Lord. 